0: In this episode, did you know Google has you working for them for free? And H2S mitigation and validation of field tickets, it pays for itself.
1: Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry
0: are making those solutions a reality on the oil and gas technology podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey, folks, before we get into the show any deeper, if you want to support the show, please, please, please leave me a review. I had a bunch of y'all do that recently. The reason reviews are so important for this show or any other podcast that you like, like our other seven oil and gas podcast, is the fact that when people are trying to find it and they see all these four and five star reviews, they'll stop and listen to it. So it helps your friends find the good podcast. Here's one by I Invest Every Day from Canada. Actually, it's interesting. It's from Canada. Another podcast out there is focused on the technology that is used in oil and gas. I love how Mark breaks things down and makes it easy to understand more, please. So yes, we will give you more and if you want to be like I invest every day Just leave me a review and I'll give you a big shout out in the show and then speaking of shout outs big shout out to Flutour for sponsoring the Show they're the leader in industrial internet of things If you want to understand what that actually means and understand how it can help your oil and gas business reach out to them They won't try to sell you anything. They're just good folks. And today we're sitting here with Paul. Is it Richie? Yes, sir How you doing today, Paul? Good. How are you doing Mark? Busy and it's it's kind of not horribly hot outside today Well, from being from Canada, it's a little warm here today. Yeah, and we were introduced by a mutual friend, and I had a chance to check out what Osprey does. And you're doing some incredible stuff. Now, it took us like, what, three months to actually get you on the microphone? Get us to connect. Yeah, my schedule and your schedule and everything else. But in a nutshell, at a very high level, what are y'all doing with Osprey?
1: Yeah, so Osprey is a intelligent visual monitoring platform, Osprey Reach, where we use edge computing and video cameras to actually monitor operations and manage exceptions for clients so we send them alerts when certain activities occur it enables them to do remote inspections it enables them to really understand and validate SCADA alarms without going to the field.
0: Yeah I want to back you up a little bit so maybe some of our audience don't doesn't understand what edge computing is edge computing is real important in this industry for specific reason but what is edge computing?
1: So edge computing for us is actually analyzing the data at the edge and then actually sending the exceptions to the client. So when we're broadcasting over cellular, we're not sending everything live video over cellular. We're sending the exception. So it makes it more bandwidth efficient.
0: Yeah. And that's why it's so important in this industry because most of our locations are out in the middle of nowhere, frankly. And so bandwidth is a constraint. So by using edge computing, you are doing all the processing there and then only pushing out the important things to over the, your bandwidth connection. And then if you're using something like VSAT, it starts getting expensive, the bandwidth, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So You're up front already minimizing costs and, at the same time, giving just important information to your client on the other end. Right. Now, you talked a little bit about SCADA. This industry knows SCADA backwards and forwards. I I could tell a story back when I worked at Bell where somebody issued an accidental disconnect release from a major oil and gas company and shut down their entire SCADA system. And you have never seen phones ring as fast as when that happened. I can imagine that. (laughs) But, But SCADA has its place. But one of the things that I think is so cool about what y'all are doing is that you are actually helping the people in the field manage their operations from a visual point of view, which is something SCADA just can't even attempt to, to touch.
1: Right. So when an operator is getting SCADA alarms on their systems, it enables them to actually see live what is happening. Is that event really occurring? Where is it occurring? How is it affecting our operation? That's number one. Number two is they're able to send the right people out if there is a problem. They're not hopping in their truck and running out. They're sending the right contractor or the right person within their company to go out there. So you're actually up and running faster because you're getting the right
0: the right people at the right time. And you're also touching something which is the number one driver in this industry, which is health, safety, and environment, HS&E. Because you're not rolling a bunch of trucks, you have less people responding. Because you're rolling the right response, if it's a fire, if it's a bear, if it's a down power line, the people show up with the right equipment and already know before they get there what they have to deal with, which keeps people safe.
1: Absolutely. It keeps operations running and getting going quicker. But it, exactly, Mark, to that point of getting the right people out there at the right time, it can save lives. It can say it can, it can avert disaster. So there's there's huge advantages to really. Coupling different technologies, like, you know, we aren't the answer for all of automation. We're just a catalyst to automation where we're enabling them to actually manage assets by exception, only need to look at them when they need to. We're pushing that data to them. But to enable their SCADA platforms, their well, set, their their optimization programs, having those eyes there makes a huge difference in how quickly they react, but how quickly they can optimize or or making the decision to turn on or off a remote piece of equipment is a huge impact on their operation.
0: Yeah, and I want to make sure you get this very clear to the audience. Osprey is not taking video stills and sending back to headquarters. You have processing going on where the computers are actually learning, right? The machines are actually learning what's important, what's not, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we we use an application called
1: computer vision and within that we apply our machine learning to it where we're constantly training the algorithms with the data that's coming, the visual data that's coming off that site. So for instance, in Canada, you have three seasons. You have white ground, you have green ground, and you have brown ground. Everything looks different on different backgrounds. So you're constantly training it. In West Texas, you have brown ground. You have sand. You know, dirt. So things look different on that. So your training becomes site specific, and it's done automatically. So where the, when it starts to report the exceptions, it says that's wrong. That's not supposed to be here, and we validate that and send it to them. It's like every time you get one of those pictograms to validate you on the internet to authenticate that you're not a robot, that's actually a part of machine learning. There's a company that wants you to recognize all those stop signs or all the school buses in there because they're training an algorithm. We use other sources to train
0: ours, but it's very similar technology. Donate Google. You just made me think of something, and, and nothing against Google. I try to limit my exposure to them, but what you just said just made perfect sense. I'm not trying to qualify it's really me. For free, somebody's getting my labor to train their machine. I had never – thanks, Paul. But they're not getting it for free because <laughs> I can tell you it's about three cents a click that companies pay to get that
1: information. Back. Darn
0: it, Google, you're smart. <laughs> God, that's all. That's awesome. So all joking aside, so is it at the point yet? where if a company's using your system, can it tell the difference between a person walking on site and a bear? Absolutely. And and
1: that's a great example. And we have an interesting example about that is a person walks upright, has two limbs on the ground. So the computer understands that from the visual, whereas a bear has four and has four on the ground. We have a story of a client that called us and said, "You know Paul, your 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 system works great, but I think it faulted today." He goes, "I actually truly believe in what you're doing." And so he said, "Go on our site, we had a bear, a mama bear and two cubs come on our site." And he said, "We didn't get alerted, we didn't get alerted." He said it stood up on the chain link fence, the mama bear and put its hands on top of the fence, and it said there was a person there. So There, you know, we haven't trained it that deep, but, you know, it had to the, to the camera, it had two arms and two legs. So he said, it's amazing. It went, was on there for two hours. we never got an alert. And then it stood up and looked like a person. And it said there was a person on your site. So I actually think that's a success. I can see where your client would. would... No, no, he, yeah, he was Mark. He, was, sorry, he was he was being very sarcastic okay. that the system failed us because he. Tr- then he said, "I truly believe in your system because I got why it did it once I looked at it. It stood up and leaned on the fence."
0: I think that's incredible that that it actually looked for those and it goes, "Okay, this is a human," because you know what? In a low light situation or from a distance, that's the same thing our brain would do. Exactly the same thing.
1: Absolutely, and you know, there's a lot of different visual analytics out there, and a lot of them are pixel-based, so they see a change or a differentiation in pixels of what it thinks a person should look like. Unfortunately, those can be masked very easily by somebody walking on carrying a piece of plywood because it no longer looks like a person. We're actually analyzing on with video on the edge, so we're actually analyzing the motion, the movement, everything, and there's a lot of different algorithms that can do that. You know, one interesting one to wildlife is we have a client in northern Alberta that is actually on the caribou migration trail. And they used to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in the in the migration season for caribou, putting students out in trucks to count the caribou. They realized, and they had to do this by the regulators, they realized that either these kids are blind or there's no caribou out there anymore. So... They actually hired us to come in and put our systems along the route and alert them to caribou and wolves. Wolves for worker safety who follow the caribou. It's a long journey. They go down. And they're using this data to prove to the federal and provincial governments that there's no caribou there anymore. Because what happens when they come, because they're an endangered animal, when they come, they have to shut down their operations in the Duvernay
0: until the caribou are gone. So it's sad that the caribou are gone. That's probably another... Another that's another on another yeah. on another show. They think they relocated.
1: That's that's what they're saying because they're still ending up at their endpoints. They've just changed their path and
0: that's probably just due to development. But from a wildlife management point of view, how incredible is that your tool can now help them, number one, report back to the government that, that we're not having caribou activity so we can keep normal operations. But number two, if there are caribou down, it lets them know and they shut it down only when they need to shut it down, not on some calendar date or some premeditated time. It's when it actually needs to have happened. That's really
1: cool. Yeah, and they're eliminating about $300,000
0: worth of staff expenses from that as well. Yeah. And you spoke earlier about not just using pixels. So your edge computing must have some serious processing power. I don't know what resolution y'all are shooting video in, but still to process even 720 is a lot of processing. Yeah. Power. And it does. And
1: we're, we're running that video on the edge at 720 or 1080, one of the two, it does have, you know, a lot of processing power, but remember we're only analyzing when there's an activity. That's right. So the cameras do go idle until something wakes them, whatever it is wakes them up. Some systems run 24 seven at the request of the client, But in low bandwidth or low power situations, we'll let them wake themselves up to deliver that data. But, you know, on the edge, we can run our systems on solar in very remote areas with no power or brown power. You know, we've run them off case gas. We've run them off tigs. We've run them off propane. They're low voltage. They're all PoE systems. But you still need that power particularly in Northern Canada and and areas of New York where it's very cold, you know, you've got cameras that are pan, tilt, zoom cameras. You've got to have a heater in that gear to warm up that grease when it's minus 40 Celsius in in northern Alberta or Saskatchewan.
0: Yeah, you know, that's really cool. One of my favorite things about this show is every time I do an episode, I learn something new. That makes total sense. I just never would have thought about that. So for y'all's hardware, is it off-the-shelf stuff, or do y'all have to actually manufacture some of it yourself? No, yeah, that's a great question. It's we assemble a multitude
1: of systems. And, you know, at the end of the day, our, our boxes, everything's very rugged because of – the extreme climates and the extreme conditions that our equipment faces out there. We're not buying our equipment from Cabela's or Costco. We're buying industrial cameras rated minus 45 to plus 45. You know, we're building boxes with heaters in in Canada, and you know, in West Texas, we're putting fans in them to so make sure they're always operational. So we're assembling. We have no proprietary hardware, which is another great thing because we're going into clients and actually taking their existing cameras and bringing them onto our platform as well. So. For lack of a better term, taking a dumb camera that's just recording to an NVR that's very reactive, oh, something happened two days ago, let's go look at it. We're putting our system in and they're being alerted when it happens.
0: Yeah that is that is incredible. So can we talk about some of the use cases in the oil and gas industry specifically? The first thing I think of is worker safety, but there has to be way more applications than that.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, we we can go the gamut. It's a true enterprise platform in what we do and you can start at the obvious when when cameras are always involved everybody thinks that it's security related. Security is a huge issue in the oil and gas industry right now and and particularly in some of the markets where where things are Going great right now. There's a lot of uh, vengeance and such. Copper is must be the most sold metal in the world. With the number of incidents we have in a week, where you know there's thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of copper just goes missing, towed behind a quad, and we're actually you know capturing and analyzing and providing. The client, the information to give to the police, to alert them to it. You know, there's there's not many operators out there that
0: send their guys out to go and approach these people. And it is a bigger problem that and even the industry doesn't admit. It. So in West Texas and North Dakota right now, theft from uh, field sites is is rampant, and it's a hard thing to try to fix because you don't you can't afford to pay a security guard to sit on a well no. site. You can fence it in, but a fence only keeps the good people out, right? Yeah, we can climb them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's this industry doesn't talk about, it, but I know it's I mean, I talk to these service companies every day, and, and literally part of their budget every year is for stuff that disappears.
1: Yeah, and you know, and, and this leads right into, you know, you were talking about HSE earlier. What these people are doing out there is at great risk to themselves. We've seen where they've taken side cutters and cut live cable trays and insane. you know, blacked out the sites. We've seen some, some very dangerous things. There's a lot of H2S out there. These guys are walking into locations with H2S that don't even know it, and we know that's an instant killer. So they're, 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 there's a lot of risk that's mitigated with our systems and the big signs that we put out there that say this is under video surveillance. You know, The difference being in a, you know, a prime example, we had a client that actually had their camera shot out by a rifle and they stole a large generator off a service rig. And we went out to do the repair, and when we got the cameras, we have redundancy. So we actually captured everything in the cloud right up to the moment they shot the camera, but the SD card was still in there, so we had the full 1080 full-term video lying on the ground at the camera that they thought they shot out, which led to them being found because their truck was parked right there. You know, so, you know, the, the security side is huge and interesting. Three years ago, that was 80% of what how we entered into organizations. Now it's actually flipped. We're entering in, you know, 75 80% of the time on operational tasks, like we spoke of some earlier, and security is underlying, right? Very difficult to prove a return on investment in security, whereas with the operational tools, they can actually reduce truck rolls they can they can increase their productivity you know some clients want to monitor their high production wells some clients want to make their low production wells more autonomous and we have a big part in doing that because we become the eyes and the reporter of what's happening on that site And the validation of what's going on through other systems.
0: So let's go back to that scenario because I love that. So what are, what is their exceptions? What are they looking for? And don't use client names, but what are they looking for in high production wells? And what are they looking for in low production wells?
1: You know, (laughs) they
0: all look for something different. Something
1: else is more, you know, there's always something that's important specifically, but some prime examples are, even just the ability to perform or have us push inspection reports to them two or three or four times a day. So their operators are basically not forced, but it's right there. So I'm going to look. It could be, you know, cadence on a pump jack. We can measure that. It could be activity of people. It could be monitoring loan workers. We have clients that use it in their finance department to monitor invoices. So they actually go backwards and say, you know, September 2nd, ABC Servicing was here with two guys from 10 a.m. to 4. They'll go in and you type those dates in, and you can actually see their entry and exit. We have one client that saves about 30% a month, and they only, they'll just randomly pull 15, 20 invoices, and they validate it with the imagery,
0: do a report off our system, and send it to the client. That is genius. I never once again I never would have thought of that, but it makes perfect sense because and this happens. Still, you and if people don't know the oil and gas you think I'm crazy, but even though it's millions and millions of dollars and a lot of work is done, it's heavy steel type work, it's still the transactions tracked on paper, right? It's still a field ticket, right? And people make mistakes, especially when they're busy. So it's not uncommon for a field rep for a service company who's worked two or three jobs that day to hurry up do all his invoices at the same time, and he may forget that he was there for two hours, not four hours, right? Right. Or or he may put a decimal point in the wrong place. And when somebody key punches that, that paperwork or it gets messed up, but this is pure validation. And I would suspect there's also an audit trail. So, yeah. So, I mean, you can't make mistakes.
1: And you know, that leads to, when you talk about tickets, when you look at the, you know, the midstream market now, it's become extremely automated, but there's still glitches or somebody forgets to sign in or somebody forgets to do something. And now they've got, you know more crude in a tank than they thought because or less. They can actually go back and realize who may have made that error. It's not theft. It's he forgot to scan his card or he forgot to do something and actually make the proper adjustment to it. And and the validating of tickets is a huge one. You know it's a fantastic industry and. You know, there's still a lot of things done by paper and human error, and we can assist just like we do with SCADA or other system validation in validating the humans. You know, we we monitor trucks and time them how long they're at a set of risers to understand that when this truck hits 35 minutes, their control center will get an alert that shows the truck, the company, the truck number that says this truck's been there for 36 minutes, something wrong with the person, is something wrong with the process? Or is he talking to his buddy back there? But we got cameras pointing the other way, saying there's three trucks behind it. So at the control center, they'll start to reroute trucks because you gotta reduce that non-productive time and allow these trucks to get
0: their loads off so they can get more and the producers happy. Damn, Paul, now I don't know which way I want to go with this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I threw them all out there in one. <laughs> no, this is like incredible stuff. So let's go the big data analytic route first. So what you're basically doing is taking visual images and convert into data. And the exceptions are the data that your clients are interested in regardless. right?
1: Correct. And, and the other data is collected as well there. We're just alerting them to, you know, This is, you wanna know this during these times when this occurs, it's happening right now. Here's an image, click on the image, you're on our platform.
0: But back to your truck story, Let's say that it's the same driver that every third week talks to his buddy and holds up the other trucks and they have to reroute it, which then costs them more fuel. Does y'all system have the ability to do that type of analytics? Not yet that we could pull out those, those
1: anomalies. You know, our platform has the ability, and we've done it in the past, to bring on facial recognition, to do license plate recognition, to do a bunch of different things. But a lot of these are really cool, neat technologies when you're in a parkade or you're walking in an office building. But I'm pretty sure that most oil companies don't have the license plates of every piece of equipment that their contractors right. have. So there's really no use to it. We, have, we, we get an inquiry a week about that and we say there's other things you can do to validate who's there. It's not all about the license plate or the face. So we're totally able to do that. There's a big database management component to it that Osprey doesn't do. But, you know, there's many other ways to validate that data. But those are things that as we grow, those are the sort of applications that if we have enough clients steering us in a direction, we'll, we'll move that way or add that feature. And being we're a very agile company and we work very closely with our customers. And I think that's a big difference we're seeing in the marketplace in this Everything's an analytic. And you know, we want to build the best options for our clients. You know We've worked with some major producers where they've paid to help develop certain areas of an analytic so it's perfect for them, but then say, go sell it to anybody else. But this is exactly what we wanted.
0: And we built that end of the business. Isn't it nice when your clients actually help you develop a product? Because not just the cash or engineering expertise, you get to really hear what they need. And so many people, especially in app dev world or the research and development world, genius people, but they've never been in the field. And they don't always understand the little things like, I got to do this with gloves on, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right. Like. We, we've had clients that are saying, well, we just want to do lab testing with your equipment. We're going to use thermal cameras and we want to alert on X temperature, 122 Fahrenheit. Well, how does that have any relation putting it in your mom's salad bowl to f- leaking out of a tank? There, there's no relation there because that temperature in the field is consistent. In 20 minutes, that's going to be ambient temperature. So right. there's no need to do it. Or the one guy that wanted to boil vegetable oil like it was bubbling crude i don't see much bubbling crude anywhere in the world number one but why would you do that in your office there's a lot of funny stories lab testing works for some things but nothing replaces that ability like you said mark to get in the field and get technology in the field and you know being the industry that we're in they're motivated to digitize the production side of things. And if you find the right partners in the industry to work together, it it, it, it really expands the capabilities of of everybody's technology.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to pipelines, but I, I, I need to go down this rabbit hole just a little bit because you're an expert and I just want your personal opinion. Facial recognition. Is it privacy invasion or is it something that's just going to happen? Right now, it depends on the country. Right. You
1: know, I don't know. I I, I just got a new computer and that's how it turns on for me. But I do know on Saturday mornings, my hair looks a little different <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily work. But, you know, I don't know how outside of the security aspect for those who've ever gone to an airport and wonder why there's blinking lights on the ceilings of all the airports in the world. They want you to look at them because that's what they're doing, how they're running facial wreck. You know, I think it, I, I don't think it was a fad. I think it has its applications in high security environments but for the general public other than you know turning on your iPhone or your your computer I don't think it has a whole bunch of industrial application except for high security areas you know we we tried it for a client in their server their energy trading server room the problem was is they couldn't maintain the database as quick as they had people going in and out of there
0: Yeah. I do think it's funny that when I set my facial recognition from iPhone, I didn't realize that I smiled. So now the only way I can (laughs) unlock my phone is I have to smile, which looks kind of weird if you're walking by an airport and I'm smiling at my phone. (laughs) I got to go back and fix that. Okay. Now I want to circle all the way around. So you mentioned something earlier, you talked about midstream. And when I thought of pipelines, I go, that has to be like a sweet application because a pipeline tends to be static, right? It's the same color. Are y'all doing any mini mini or much work in midstream market? Our largest client is is a midstream company.
1: And when I talk about risers and I talk about tanks, I'm generally speaking about them and how they use it. They have this incredible need, you spoke of data, they have this incredible need to collect data for that audit process because they have thousands of trucks in North America from, hundreds of companies rolling in and out environmentally sensitive loads there's a lot of spills there's you know a lot of spill and kick the dust over it and the next guy gets blamed for it type thing where we you know recently they have a lot of locations that are unmanned late at night where The operations control centers will actually get an alert from us and watch the unloading procedure by that lone worker, that lone driver. And in many times it's prevented a lot of environmental or health and safety issues because they'll see something going wrong and they're already dispatching.
0: Yeah, it's better to be safe. And from a liability point of view, God forbid you end up in court, you now have a record of what really happened.
1: You have a record, and and you know, one instance there was three or four parties involved in an explosion, and they sat around a table with lawyers in hand and company representatives, and and actually went back about three hours because this this particular company was saying, we didn't do anything incorrect. We followed the rules. This happened. The video said, showed that that had happened. And they went back two and a half hours earlier. There was another service company that had come in to do some cleanup in there. And they actually were the root cause of what ended up happening, which which
0: was the explosion of a tanker truck. Yeah. And and not just from a li- legal point of view, but your ability to prove that, then you go back to the company that caused it and they could correct their process and their procedure so they don't ever do that again.
1: Right. And, and you know, to the, to the point I made earlier about it being enterprise software, we had regulatory from this company, legal from this company. The emergency response was dispatched. The first responders were dispatched by the emergency response team that was watching the live video. We had occupational health and safety involved in this. And the whole enterprise and and the client came to us and said, you know, before this, before we had this, this would have been a six to eight month process with lawyers. And at the end of the day, probably the wrong person would have been found
0: responsible. Yeah, what a powerful story. Yeah. This is really, y'all are doing some really cool stuff. Now, let me ask you this. Yes, so one of the things that pipeline companies are dealing with here and, and, and in Canada is you are having negative public perception, right? You have an eco terrorism. You're having people out there that why they think this is okay to do that will go out and manually cut on and off valves to interrupt operations. That's insane. To the point that sometimes they're hoping they cause a spill, an mm-hmm. integrity issue so that the company takes a black eye in public. Your solution would be able to capture all of that, right? And alert somebody when anything's going on.
1: Yeah, I and mean, there's certain limitations for sure to that just based on geography. I don't think that they want to put a $2,500 camera in with a helicopter. But, you know, this is, and, and I don't consider, we don't consider drones any sort of competition to us, nothing more than a compliment to the visual world. You know, that's a big, especially in Europe, in Europe midstream markets, drones play a big part in that. But where we are is is a lot at the critical infrastructure points.
0: But couldn't your technology actually, the drone would just be the, I shouldn't say dumb camera because the drone's flying itself, but the, yeah. your, your technology would then take that video footage and just like it was a still camera, do the alert when it, the exception was what the client is looking for.
1: We can take that other, exactly. We can take that drone video or that drone information and be dropped into our platform to alert
0: to the anomalies. Yeah. Paul, you need to develop some more AI so your platform drives the drones itself.
1: And yeah. You, you know, the funny be so thing cool. is, half of our company drones is a swear word and the other half, we just think it's great because it's just adding more visual to industrial operations, you know, especially when we sit in a market of we're not putting things into, you know, big systems into massive refineries. We're putting things in, you know, well sites, that you need a helicopter to get into six times a year, because that's the only way in there. But we're giving them eyes on that. We are doing a, a really cool project in in the Yukon territories right now, where there's 35 wells on an island, and in the winter they go across by Argos, nice. and in the in the summer they go across by boat, and they have to go there by regulated twice a day, and but. Of course, there's the freeze and thaw seasons. They have to take a helicopter. And you can see the wells from the land, but you're not on the island.
0: So we're giving them that exposure. Yeah, and audience, if you don't realize this, a helicopter is prohibitively expensive to operate, right? Because it stays in the air by brute horsepower, which means it burns a lot of fuel. So anytime you can get away from using a helicopter, there's cost savings. And once again, less of risk of something bad happening. Absolutely. Yeah, Paul, this has been awesome. I want to get you back on the show. We're getting down to the time where we need to kind of wind this thing down. We get to our actual product reviews, and you were actually playing with this earlier. So GoPro sent us a GoPro Silver about a month ago, and they sent me this really cool mount. The thing I love about it is not only is it articulating, but inside there's actually a little tripod. You could stand this thing up, and it allows you to capture angles that would be like really cool if you shoot some good video. That would be really hard to do by holding a GoPro in your hand. So a lot of the GoPro accessories I think are overpriced. There's ripoffs actually on the market that I think are as good for much cheaper. This I will say I would buy the GoPro brand. And it's rock solid. It's warranted. It's really nifty, and you don't want to drop your two hundred dollar GoPro because you had a cheap swing arm that you're using it on.
1: No, it's a, it's a great looking camera. And I commented, I remember when my son got his first GoPro and there were $600 and three times the size and he put it on a ski helmet and his head would fall forward. <laughs> this is, this is no bigger than putting in your suit pocket. It's, it's a great looking unit.
0: Yeah. So what's really sad audience, is i have yet to actually shoot any footage with this. It, I have no excuse because they gave it to me, but I'm going to shoot some footage with it pretty soon. Now, didn't you say it's voice activated? Though? It's voice activated. So literally the, and we're reviewing the, the handle, but the GoPro itself is voice activated. What's cool about that is if you think about what GoPros are designed for. It's kind of cool to be able to use it while have both hands free, right? And your kid, if you're skateboarding or mountain biking or snowboarding or whatever, you need your hands. So just being able to say GoPro, shoot some video, GoPro, shoot some stills. I just think that's cool. So if you want to check this out, there's a link in the show notes. If you buy it, we don't get anything for it. So just go ahead and buy it if you think it's useful. And we talked earlier about our street team. We do this every show. We have a group of global volunteers. We're over 200. And there's a Facebook group. We're looking for an hour's worth of work a week. So if you want to be part of our extended team and come join us at our events and even be part of our press crew, if we're in your geographic area, join the street team. If you can't give us an hour of work a week, it's okay. We know life gets away. Just help us when you can. And most of it's just reposting our social stuff. And then big shout out to BCD Travel. They're our official travel partner of choice for this show and all of our other podcasts. If you need to get your people and parts and pieces anywhere in the world and get them back safely, go check them out. These people are awesome. And then Flute Tours is doing our audience a favor to give away this really cool Port site Cyber Backpack. Uh, We give away one a week in audience. You can register. If you don't win one, you can register again the next week. So it's really go to the show. It's click on the link. And if you want to try to remember, it's getflutour.com forward slash podcast is the link to actually go in and win that backpack. And while you're online, go ahead and go to our website, oilandgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. You'll be alerted when the new episodes go out and we'll use that to let you know the cool stuff we're doing. We promise never to spam you. And while you're online, go join our LinkedIn group. You want to hear something cool, Paul? We have your marketing guy in here who's not on the microphone, but I hired a new marketing person just recently, and we went from three hundred about 300 people following our LinkedIn page. We we're up to 13,000 people. Wow. So bringing the right marketing person to your staff. I literally had several CMOs of major oil and gas companies reach out to me and go, did you hire an agency? I go, no, I hired one guy. Yeah, how many times <laughs> is
1: Mark LaCour a fan of this website? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So big shout out to Tim and Alex for, for helping us with our social media growth. Paul, if people want to learn more about your company, where should they go?
1: Yeah, it's simple. Ospreyinformatics.com.
0: Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. And any affiliation with the bird of prey? Is that where the name came from?
1: You know, we're actually having a little bit of a debate about this. But yes, speaking to the founders, it's actually the eyesight of an osprey is incredibly good. And and our previous logo was... Moniker of an osprey, yes.
0: Yeah, I like that tie-in. Not sure. I'd have to go look at your previous logo. It Doesn't sound good, but yeah. I love the tie-in for the bird of prey. All right, and if people want to learn more about you personally, yeah, it look, look me up on LinkedIn. Yeah, we'll put so we'll put links in the show notes both to the website and for Paul's LinkedIn page. Man, thank you so much. This has been so informative. I'd like to get you back on in about a year and see where you all have gone from now till then. So we'll give this in the books.
1: Yeah, that'd be exciting for sure, Mark, thanks.
0: Uh, you're very welcome. All right, folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck.
2: Hey everyone, Alex here with the events on deck for November. First of all, we had our best turnout ever for our latest happy hour in Houston with our panel discussion. So thanks to everyone who attended and we hope to keep offering you guys value in the future. Be sure to listen here for any future happy hours. The events on deck for November include OGGN's second Denver happy hour on November 6th from 4 to 6 p.m. The cost of attendance is $20, a portion of which goes to local charities Safe House Denver and Oilfield Helping Hands. On November 12th at Minute Maid Stadium, IBM's Oilfield of Dreams, data, digitization, and disruption. This event is free for all OGGN subscribers. OGGN's Mark LaCour will be doing a live podcast with ExxonMobil and his 2020 oil and gas predictions. On November 12th through 14th is Procurement Week in Sydney, Australia. Our travel partner, BCD Travel, will be sponsoring Day 2 of Procurement Week in Sydney. Day 2 has content focused on the construction, mining and energy sectors as well as an indirect procurement leaders forum, which encompasses travel. Industry leaders will be discussing value-driven procurement approaches, evolving technologies, and the changing landscape. And drinks are on BCD at the end of the day. The Houston Chapter API Energy Petroleum Club will be meeting on November 12th in Houston. Speaker Shane McElroy will be talking about the sustainability of electric fracturing. We have another free event on deck this month for our subscribers. The Topcoder Innovation Summit will be taking place on November 14th in Houston, Texas. This event is the premier innovation event for industry leaders. You'll have the opportunity to attend panels on innovation and emerging technologies and meet with the Ypro and Topcoder executive teams. Lastly, the Algeria Oil & Gas Summit is happening on November 19th through 21st this year. ALNAFT will be sharing onshore and offshore updates for Africa's leading gas producer and opportunities for independent oil and gas companies. And don't forget, if you guys would like to receive these events each month via email, click Get Mark's Monthly Events email link in the show notes of any OGGN podcast. Hope you guys have a great month.
1: Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Temp Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.